the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. God's way leads to good in your life. And it leads to long-term good. God's way is part of a bigger plan that He has for your life. And it's a plan to bring you a blessed future. And so often we make decisions based on our short-term happiness. And this is what's going to make me happy. When God is looking at our long-term good, and He's looking at our future. So often we get caught up in the trials in our lives that we think that's all that's happening. We have such a narrow focus that we forget about the big picture. Today, Pastor Dan reminds us that God has our best interest in mind, even throughout the storms. In fact, especially throughout the storms. God has such a broad focus that we often miss things He set into motion. He chastens us in order that we might grow. So don't focus on the negativity, but pay attention to how He works that negativity for your good. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 24, for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Verse 6, God promised those who went into the exile, he promised to protect them. He said, I will set my eyes on them for good. I'll keep my eye on them. God will protect them in their difficulty that he's sending them into. He doesn't make the same promise to those who stay in Jerusalem. In fact, he he makes the opposite promise to them. He's going to destroy Jerusalem and those that are in that city. He, He doesn't keep his eye on them. He doesn't protect them because staying in Jerusalem was not his will. That was not the plan. That's not what he's doing. And listen, when you're outside God's will, you're outside his protection. That's the lesson you see with that. When you're outside God's will, you're outside God's protection. And when I'm in God's will, I'm safe. He watches over me. He protects me. And look what it says. God promises to bring them back in verse 6. He promises to bring them back to the land of Israel. So the chastening is temporary. Chastening is always temporary. Once its purpose is accomplished, it, it ends. For I will set my eyes on them for good. I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down. And I will plant them and not pluck them up. Then, once he brings them back, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh, and they shall be my people, 
and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. God, you know what he's describing here, he's going to make them a new creation. He's going to give them a new heart, a heart to know me, a heart to know God. God's going to use this difficulty to give them a heart for him. A deeper relationship with him. Again, God uses difficulties. He uses those those hard seasons in life to give us a deeper relationship with him. God says, they will be my people. I will be their God. And this, this is speaking of the new covenant that God will establish through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The new covenant in his blood. So those who went into the captivity in Babylon, they had a future and they had a hope with God. Those who did not but stayed in Jerusalem, they didn't have a future. They didn't have a hope. Again, looking at it from the perspective of those in Jerusalem, they thought they're better off staying. They're better off than those who went into the captivity. They're safer. They thought they had it easier. But ultimately, they didn't. And for several years, actually for more than a decade, the people who stayed in Jerusalem, they thought they were right. But a decade down the road, the Babylonians show back up. And this time they show back up and they destroy the city. And they kill the people that are left in it. And then they carry a group back to Babylon as slaves. Now look at verse 8. Verses 8 to 10 describe what will happen to those who stay in In Jerusalem, the bad figs. And as the bad figs which cannot be eaten, they are so bad. Surely, thus says the Lord, so will I give up Zedekiah, the king of Judah. Remember, he's the last king of Judah. His princes, the residue of Jerusalem, whatever's left in Jerusalem, those who remain there in the land, and those who dwell in the land of Egypt. Some fled down to Egypt, seeking refuge in Egypt but they're not going to escape in Egypt. I will deliver them to trouble and to all the kingdoms of the earth for their harm to be a reproach and a byword, a taunt and a curse and all places where I shall drive them. I will send the sword, the famine and the pestilence or disease among them till they are consumed from the land that I gave to them and their fathers." Those are the people that thought they were the the good figs. (laughs) When really they're the bad figs. Chapter 24 shows us a few things. It shows us, first of all, that God's ways are not our ways. You know, our natural inclination would be stay in Jerusalem where it's safe. I don't want to go into captivity with the Babylonians. That seems horrible. But that was God's way. God's way may not look better. It may look worse It may be difficult. We may look at God's way and think, if I do that, I'm going to be unhappy. If I do that, it's going to be hard, painful. If I do that, it's unrealistic for me to go and do that. And we may think, I'm better off doing something else or going some other way. It'll be easier for me. I'll be happier this way. God's way is always better. It's always better. It may be difficult, but it's always better. God's way leads to good in your life. And it leads to long-term good. God's way is part of a bigger plan that he has for your life. And it's a plan to bring you a blessed future. 
And so often we make decisions based on our short-term happiness. And this is what's going to make me happy. When God is looking at our long-term good, and he's looking at our future, there's something else that this chapter shows us is that the consequence for disobedience to God often comes much later. You know, they go from 597 B.C. to 586 B.C. before the consequence finally comes. So 10 years, a decade goes by before they experience the consequence for their disobedience. The consequence for disobedience to God often comes much later, sometimes years later, in this case, a decade later. And because the consequence is not immediate, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that there's not going to be a consequence. Because I, I did this, I went this way, nothing happened. And then we just continue on in that disobedience when really the consequence is coming later. You know, the Bible talks about the principle of sowing and reaping. And in sowing and reaping, you reap much later after you sow. You don't reap immediately after you sow. There's the sowing, then there's a period of time that passes, then the reaping comes. And you see that here with the people of Judah, those that stayed in Jerusalem. It can be that way with consequences to our disobedience. Now, that brings us to chapter 25. Chapter 24 was a short chapter. The book of Jeremiah is not written in chronological order. It jumps around a bit. Uh, So the events of chapter 25 actually occurred before the events of chapter 24. So chapter 24 chronologically precedes chapter 24. Chapter 25 is all about the judgment of God. First, the judgment against Judah and Jerusalem, and then we're going to see the judgment against the nations. Uh, Verse 1 says, The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So the fourth year of Jehoiakim was 605 B.C. This is when Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem the first time. So now we back up to the first time that the Babylonians came. Which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, this is the twenty-third year in which the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, but you have not listened. So Jeremiah has been preaching for 23 years at this point, warning people of the judgment that's going to come if they don't repent and turn back to God. And he tells us that no one has listened to him for 23 years. That's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine to be called to do something and staying faithful to it for 23 years without growing discouraged and and quitting. If you're honest, you'd quit a year into it, two years into it maybe, three years. Nobody's responding. Nobody's listening. You would give up. But Jeremiah, he he stays faithful to it. And in fact, he's going to continue another 20 years after this, preaching God's message to the people. And he has no one respond throughout his whole life, his whole ministry. We'll return to today's edition of Ring of Truth, 
with Pastor Dan Sexton in a moment. But first, Pastor Dan would like to extend a special invitation to our listeners. If you've enjoyed the messages on Ring of Truth, I'd like to personally invite you to join us this Sunday at Calvary Chapel. We're located in Columbia, Maryland, just five minutes from Routes 29, 95, and 100. I'd love for you to come be part of our time of worship and Bible study this weekend at 9 or 11 a.m. I always enjoy meeting listeners of Ring of Truth, so please be sure to introduce yourself to me after church. To find out more information and to get directions, visit our website at calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. That website again is calvaryec.com. We look forward to seeing you. Now, back to today's message. If we were measuring Jeremiah by human terms, we would say Jeremiah was a failure because he preached for over 40 years and no one responded. And so we would say he was a failure as a preacher. But Jeremiah is an example to us of faithfulness. God's looking for faithful people. He's not looking for you necessarily to be successful. He's looking for you to be faithful to what he's called you to do. So whatever he's called you to do, be faithful. So he says again here in verse 4, And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets. So Jeremiah wasn't the only prophet. Rising early and sending them, but you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. When it says here, rising early and sending them, the idea of rising early is that God sent these prophets to the people when they first turned away from him and began to go after the idols. He he immediately sent prophets to try to turn them back. The moment they turned away, God started sending prophets to appeal to them, and they wouldn't listen. And here was their message. They said, repent now every one of his evil way and his evil doings and dwell in the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them. And do not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, and I will not harm you. Yet you have not listened to me, says the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Verse 5 tells us the message of the prophets was, Repent, now every one of his evil way and his evil doings. Uh, In the New Testament, the very first message that Jesus preached was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, on Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out and Peter stands up to preach, the very first message of the newly born church was, Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And so the message of the prophets in the Old Testament was repent. The message of Jesus was repent. The message of the church and the apostles was repent. Do you think repentance is important to God? Yeah, it sure is. It's very important to him. The Bible says we all sin, and so we we all need to repent. The word repent, it means to change your mind about what you're doing, change your mind about the way you're living, and to then change your behavior, change your direction, stop what you're doing, turn around, go the other way is the idea. The people of Judah ignored Jeremiah for 23 years. They ignored all the other prophets that God sent to them. They ignored the stop signs. They ignored the warning lights. They just continued on in their sin, just ignoring it, and they refused to repent. And the Lord says, you wouldn't listen. They couldn't hear. They heard what was being said. They just wouldn't listen. In fact, he mentions that several times in this chapter, that they wouldn't listen. 
think it's four times he mentions it. It's almost like a parent who is warning their child of a consequence if they don't change their behavior. And the parent is saying over and over, you wouldn't listen to me. I I told you not to do this and you wouldn't listen to me. So now, goes on, verse 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, meaning people will be astonished when they see the devastation, a hissing of perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstone. You would use a millstone to grind grain to make you know, wheat for, or flour for bread. So this is like a common everyday work, household work. The sound of the millstone the light of the lamp in the homes. Notice here, go back up. He says in verse 9, he refers to Nebuchadnezzar as my servant. That doesn't mean that Nebuchadnezzar was godly. It just means that God used him to fulfill his plan and to fulfill his purposes. Nebuchadnezzar was a pagan, heathen king. In Isaiah, God refers to King Cyrus as my anointed one. Right? And Cyrus was, was a pagan. God is sovereign. God can use anyone he wants to fulfill his purposes and his plans. In the New Testament, he uses Caesar Augustus to move a very pregnant Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem so that she gives birth to the Messiah in the town of Bethlehem, just as it's prophesied in Micah 5, 2, where the Messiah would be born. How do you get a woman who is nine months pregnant to make that trip on foot, a very difficult, rugged trip to make. Well, you have a decree issued by Caesar Augustus that all of the world must participate in this census, and that's what moves them from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. God can use anybody to fulfill his purposes. He says again in verse 10, he's going to take away the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstone, the light of the lamp. The people ignored the warnings and they just continued on with their life as usual. And so when the judgment came, it came as a surprise to the people. Even though God warned them over and over and over that the Babylonians are going to come, they ignored it. And so when it actually happened, they're surprised. They're just going about their life as if nothing's ever going to happen to them. We're told in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 24, Jesus uses a very similar description to describe how things will be in the world when the tribulation begins, when God's wrath is poured out on this world. People will be eating and drinking and getting married and giving in marriage. They'll just be living their life as normal until the day that judgment comes, and they'll be surprised by the judgment. And this whole land, verse 11, shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So that's how long the captivity will take place. This is the first time that the length of the captivity is mentioned, where we're told exactly how long 
they'll be in Babylon. They'll be in Babylon 70 years. It's mentioned here first. Now, why 70 years? Well, turn with me back to 2 Chronicles 36. Now, look at verse 15. It says, And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, the prophets, rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, the temple. That's why he's warning them, because he has compassion on them. He loves them. But they mocked the messengers of God. They despised his words. They scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin on the aged or the weak. He gave them all into his hand and all the articles from the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and of his leaders. All these he took to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious possessions. And those who escaped, verse 20, from the sword he carried away to Babylon and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So 70 years was to fulfill the Sabbath law. Now, what's the Sabbath law? Well, go back with me to Leviticus 25. We tend to think of the Sabbath as just one day of the week, you know, Saturday. And that's the Sabbath day. Well, there's more to the Sabbath than just the one day of the week. In Leviticus 25, beginning in verse 3, it says, Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year... There shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest, you shall not reap nor gather the grapes of your untended vine. For it is a year of rest for the land and the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you, for your male and female servants, your hired men, and the stranger who dwells with you for your livestock and the beasts that are in your land, all its produce shall be for food. So there's the Sabbath day, but there's also the Sabbath year. Every seventh year, they're to just let their land go fallow. They're not to care for their vineyards or care for their crops. They're not to harvest or anything or maintain their their fields. They're just to allow the fields to go fallow for the whole year. And so every seven years, they're supposed to take a year off. You would think this would be one of the laws that they would keep. God's saying, you've got to take a whole year off every seven years. But their hearts are so hard, they don't even take a year off from work for that year. They just kept working. So they never kept the Sabbath year. And so what happens now? They failed to keep the Sabbath year. Every seven years, they've been in the land a total of 490 years. So that's 70 Sabbath years. And so what God's going to do now, he's going to force them into exile for 70 years. He asked me how I know and I said. 
The book of Jeremiah entails many prophecies given to the people of Israel, but they weren't just commands of judgment and consequence. Within these pages, Jeremiah gives insight into the coming promises that Jesus would offer by coming and fulfilling a new covenant of redemption for all people. What's interesting is that Jeremiah poured his heart and soul out as he wrote this book. It wasn't just a dry dissertation of what people should do or what should come about. Jeremiah was a living and breathing person during the time of siege and exile, and he felt deeply for the people and nation he was a part of. His empathy for his kinsmen should resonate with you as you're part of a larger group of people in a nation and ultimately part of God's family. Is there a stirring within you to see those who are lost come to have a saving knowledge of Christ? If so, you might be able to relate to Jeremiah more than you thought. If you're enjoying this series through the book of Jeremiah and would like to hear more teachings, we encourage you to visit our website at calvaryec.com. In addition to listening to these teachings, you can access more information about the church behind this ministry. Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. As a church, our heart is geared towards spreading the gospel message to all we come in contact with. And we welcome anyone to worship with us at our location in Columbia, Maryland. For service times and location, check out calvaryec.com. Thanks for joining us today. Next time, we'll continue looking at the book of Jeremiah here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that craft and what I know because I know His voice and it only takes Rings true.